Hi, I'm David Freudberg. We here at Humankind are trying to strike a balance to make our public radio programs available to you and also to make sure we're able to pay our production costs from office rent to staff time to studio and distribution expenses. The grants we receive from funders you hear named on our programs don't fully cover our operating costs. And if you like what you hear, we're asking for your help so we can keep our program and this podcast going. Please visit humanmedia.org and at the top of our homepage, click on How You Can Help. Thanks. Humankind is produced in association with WGBH Boston and supported by the Humankind Program Fund and a grant from the Henry Luce Foundation. The whole discussion of what effect the mind has on the body in many ways is, a, is a sort of a misnomer because it comes from an assumption that the mind and the body actually operate separately. The mysterious placebo effect what we can learn from the medical fact that fake medicines sometimes actually work. You're listening to Humankind. I'm David Freud. How is it that when scientists are researching the effectiveness of a new medication, the health of some patients improves measurably even when they've only taken a placebo, maybe just a sugar pill that contains no actual medical ingredients. Accounting for this placebo response is a scientific principle in almost all drug testing and makes it hard for the developers to pinpoint how well their medicine really works. The reason is that our expectations of a drug are formed in the human mind, and the mind-body connection is enormously powerful. Physician and best-selling author Andrew Weil says that researchers have studied many examples of mind-body interactions. One that goes back really forever is the demonstration uh, that hypnosis can produce very dramatic changes in physiological functioning. For example, you can take a person in a deep trance, uh, touch them with your finger and represent that as a piece of hot metal and they'll get a blister at the site. I mean, that's all you need. You just need one example of that to show you that uh, it's possible for a thought or belief to go directly into uh, the physical body and produce a real physical effect. One explanation is that immune cells in our body have receptors on them for neurotransmitters. These allow nerve cells to communicate with each other, a chemical conversation between the brain and our immune system. So our thoughts and emotions send signals that affect the functioning of our body. When scientists test a new medication, a constant question mark is whether the effects on a patient are attributable to the drug itself or to the placebo response. So our mental perceptions about the drug matter. If we believe it can heal us, chances are better that it will. These expectations reflect our understanding of the drug treatment, what it means to us that can sway our health. Wayne Jonas, a family physician, directed the Integrative Medicine Center at the National Institutes of Health. One of the big dilemmas in medical science that uh, is constantly tr trying to be sorted out is how much of a healing response is due to the actual treatment and how much is due to this, uh, this meaning and context effect. 
uh, even proven therapies, uh, surgical therapies or drug therapies, uh, a large part of uh, how and why people get better is due to this meaning and context effect. And so disentangling those is important in science to try to tell uh, how much is due to a particular therapy. But when you get into practice, you want to optimize both of those because you're trying to improve the patient uh, to the maximum degree. So you actually want to use the placebo effect. Um, I don't like that term. I prefer to call it the meaning effect uh, in order to induce healing. And with that, you could then uh, use any kind of an agent. You could use a needle. Uh, you can use a knife as in surgery. You can, uh, you can use a pill. You can use an herb. Uh, or you can use a drug. Um, you know, whether those latter components actually produce or add anything to the effect is part of what medical science tries to sort out. And so you're saying that the primary agent in healing is the meaning effect and these other interventions might add to the meaning effect? That's absolutely right. And in fact, the meaning effect produces most of the response that you see in actual clinical practice or that you see in your life. It depend, varies by the treatment, of course, but on average, uh, particular drugs, even proven ones, for example, only add about 20 to 30 percent of the effect of the response. The, the, the rest, the 70 to 80 percent, comes from our own inherent healing capacity and, uh, and the fact that it's induced and it is responding to the interaction and the intervention that goes on in the, in the clinical context. Are there particular ailments that are especially sensitive to the meaning effect? Yeah, absolutely. Um, things that uh, are um, more subjective, for example, pain, uh, responds uh, robustly to the meaning effect. Um, but a lot of other physiological processes also seem to be responding to it. Uh, and medical science is just beginning to explore how broad this effect is. For example, there's, uh, there's good research showing that even Parkinson's disease responds to this. Uh, and inflammatory processes and immune responses can also respond to this. So we know, for example, that subjective things like mood and, and pain respond very robustly to it. Uh, but it could be that other more physical and more objective things respond if we investigate those in more detail. So that, that's one of the cutting-edge areas for examining the capacity, the depth, and the breadth of the meaning response. Researchers have observed that patients suffering from gastric ulcers heal better when they're prescribed four sugar pills a day compared with people who take two sugar pills, yet there's no genuine medicine in any of those pills. Patients exhibit improved healing response to bigger pills and to specific colors of pills and to those in shiny packaging rather than plain containers. A widely recognized brand name tends to heal more effectively than unbranded pills with the same ingredients. And of course, direct-to-consumer advertising for drugs is ubiquitous and is designed to shape our perceptions. Don't drive or operate machinery until you feel fully awake, walking, eating, driving, or engaging in other activities while asleep without remembering it the next day have been reported. And apart from marketing itself, other commercial factors influence whether a patient has a healing response from taking medication. 
You can also manipulate this effect by cost. Uh, in many countries, uh, U.S. is one of them, we often believe that more expensive drugs are more effective. And there's been good studies showing that if you ra raise the price on a, uh, a treatment, uh, you're going to see a greater proportion of effect in people than if you have a lower price, up to a limit if they don't believe you. If it's so expensive they don't actually believe uh, that the effect is there, then it'll start losing its effect. So you're saying if people pay more for a particular pill, it will have greater effectiveness in relieving their physical pain? That's correct, up to a limit, as I said. If it's an exorbitant price, then they stop believing that it's real. Well, then the uh, source of the pain could be the price. Exactly right. <laughs> In addition to his duties as a practicing physician, Wayne Jonas now directs the Samueli Institute, a medical research center outside Washington. They study a range of non-pharmacological health care options, including nutrition, meditation, yoga, herbal medicine, and biofeedback, a technique that helps patients monitor their own physiological functions. Of particular interest to Dr. Jonas is understanding the role of a patient's expectations about medical treatment and how that affects health outcomes. It gets back to the way we construct meaning. Uh, for example, they've uh, shown that uh, in the West where uh, shots are thought to be more powerful than pills, if you give uh, an inert substance, a placebo for pain, for example, by shot, the patients are going to report much better relief than uh, than if you give it by a pill. Even though the injection contained no healing substance? Yes, right. The, 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 the injection is a salt water or something like that, and the pill is sugar sugar pill. There's no active ingredient in either of them. Um, and, uh, and so the, the meaning is what's producing the effect. Uh, likewise, if you give a painkiller in a hospital or, you know, some authoritative physician in a white coat who you believe in gives it versus uh, someone just comes to your home and gives it or you take it yourself at home, uh, you're going to experience greater pain relief. Are these inert substances being injected or being dispensed as pills without the knowledge of the patient? Well, you know, it used to be uh, physicians uh, gave out placebos or inert substances all the time. I can remember in my early training over 30 years ago that uh, the uh, hospital that I trained in actually had a pill that you could prescribe called Oldacap, which was the word placebo written backwards. And if you wrote <laughs> Oldacap, the uh, pharmacy would dispense a sugar pill. Uh, now, that uh, that is uh, considered unethical now. And in fact, in my opinion, uh, lying and deception is unethical and it should never be done. That kind of behavior that I described from 30 years ago is now gone out of favor and you don't see it. Uh, but what happens is that uh, physicians uh, start to to use things that the evidence shows do not work, but they might have an effect. For example, an antibiotic for a viral infection. We know that antibiotics don't work for viral infections, and yet in the time pressure of a clinical visit with a desperate patient who's sick, uh, a, 
physicians will often prescribe an antibiotic, uh, even though they know it probably is only acting like a placebo. So in the old days, when doctors would, with a straight face, prescribe a month's supply of Oldacap to some patient in distress, why were they doing so? What, what effect were they anticipating? Well, I think, uh, I think uh, physicians were attempting to uh, optimize uh, the mind-body effect. They may not have called it that. Uh, you know, in some cases, they may have just been trying to get the patient out of the, out of the clinic because uh, they had a big line. But, uh, but I think most caring doctors who did this uh, believed that, uh, you know, if the patient believed or they knew that if the patient believed in a treatment, uh, that it was more likely to have an effect. And if they didn't have a specific treatment for the condition, you know, like a viral infection or, or like, you know, a chronic fatigue or something, and, they, and there, there was no scientifically based, evidence-based treatment for it, uh, they uh, would often uh, feel like it was better to give something and try to help uh, give the patient some relief than to tell them there was nothing they could do and uh, have the patient continue to suffer. I think that was the underlying motivation for most physicians who, who want to be healers. And, and did, in fact, the prescription of these placebo pills prove to be medically beneficial? They probably were, again, depending upon how they were given. If they were given in a way that induced a deep meaning response, uh, then they probably had an effect. If the, if the doctor was kind and empathetic, if they gave it with authority, if the patient believed in it, uh, if the physician believed it was going to help, uh, if those things all aligned up, then the evidence now shows that the likelihood is that you could optimize this meaning response and the patient probably did improve. Can you describe any specific incidents, obviously without compromising confidentiality of a patient, Recently, I had uh, a man that uh, came in who uh, had uh, depression. He was, was a military, a, former, a veteran with uh, PTSD. He'd had a traumatic brain injury. He had chronic pain syndrome along with those other things. Uh, he was on about 15 different medications. Uh, and uh, most of what he had been receiving was some behavioral therapy, which was helping him. Uh, but mostly manipulation of the different kinds of drugs. He was getting side effects from the drugs. They were helping him some, but again, uh, not to a huge degree. Uh, so we, we did a deep exploration of, you know, of his own well-being. What did he do to help heal himself or help feel better in those areas? As it turned out, he was very religious, and he prayed. He went to church, and he said that when he was praying and when he was in church— this actually was the best time in his life. He had less uh, symptoms, less pain. His mood was elevated. Uh, he felt better. Uh, and so here was a way that he was using the social con context and probably the relaxation response through prayer to help induce his own healing response. So we took that, and I worked with him to try to enhance that effect, uh, to make it deeper, to give it more meaning. And uh, so we explored with him methods to do that. And uh, he was a sort of like technology and like biofeedback and video games and things like that. So we used a uh, heart rate biofeedback approach uh, to enhance and deepen his relaxation response when he engaged in prayer. And uh, after doing that for several weeks, he found that he was uh, able to tap in 
to uh, this mind-body effect much more effectively and, in fact, enhance his mood on a longer-term basis, reduce his pain on a longer-term basis, and reduce the medications that he was on and function better. Might there be an element of his spiritual faith that produced a therapeutic effect? Well, I think absolutely, and because there is uh, extensive work looking at the role of faith, the role of belief, the role of uh, you know religious belief in this in this case, uh, and the role of sort of spiritual experiences, deep spiritual experiences uh, in terms of healing. Uh, and so it's possible that in addition to the relaxation response uh, that he was likely getting from his prayer and uh, the uh, interaction at church, uh, his own enhanced belief, uh, which we know is a component of the meaning response, um, could be made more potent by faith and a belief uh, in God. We're talking with physician Wayne Jonas, president of the Samueli Institute outside Washington, that studies natural non-pharmacologic health care techniques. He previously directed the Center on Integrative Medicine at the National Institutes of Health. You're listening to Humankind. I'm David Freudberg. For more information on this segment about the placebo effect and to obtain an audio download, you can visit humanmedia.org. The placebo effect has been shown to cause measurable physiological changes in patients. For example, a placebo painkiller can trigger the brain to release pain-relieving chemicals. One recent study in placebo research found that even when patients are told explicitly that the pill they're asked to take has no medicinal ingredient, it's more effective at relieving symptoms than doing nothing. In that study, the word placebo was actually printed on the bottle, yet somehow it promoted healing. Dr. Jonas. Those studies that actually inform the patient that they're getting an inert treatment and then go through the same ritual of creating a deep meaning effect and showing that it's the, illustrate exactly what I'm talking about, that it's the meaning effect that is producing the effect and not the pill. Uh, I think one of the things that is important to clarify here is that the meaning effect is not simply your, your cognitive belief, what you think is going on. It's deeper than that. It's based on your uh, experiences uh, from the past. It's based on the social context and expectancy that's been created. Uh, it, is a, it is a conditioned response that you learn over years. And so uh, it, can, it can be d- induced by even unconscious processes if the right ritual and the right framing and the right delivery is made. And uh, telling a person, the studies where they've told a person that they're giving them an inert uh, substance or a placebo and that they still get a response illustrates that the cognitive or the conscious expectancy or belief is only one part and maybe even a small part of the meaning response and meaning effect. It may be that medical science does not yet fully understand the mystery of placebos, and healthcare providers are not advising patients to avoid needed medical treatment or drugs. 
But according to Dr. Wayne Jonah, some conditions are especially responsive to the role of belief and expectations that shape how a patient responds to treatment. Certainly the chronic pain conditions that we've just been talking about, many mood uh, and mental health issues like depression, very prevalent. Um, obesity is an example. Uh, it's very prevalent and growing right now. It's a chronic multifactorial uh, illness. Um, you know, arthritis uh, are conditions that, uh, uh, that we live with over long periods of time, and there's no magic bullet for them because there's you know, multiple factors that contribute to them. These kinds of conditions, which are growing and getting more prevalent as uh, our population ages, uh, because older populations tend to have multiple chronic conditions, these are the kinds of conditions that we don't have a magic bullet for. We don't have a particular drug or treatment that can you know, remove it. Uh, and so we still try to apply the drugs to those areas and try to apply the specific treatments, but the degree of effect that we're getting from those is fairly small, and often the side effects uh, are pretty widespread, and so we're getting diminishing returns. It used to be that if you uh, found a specific treatment for a specific condition, let's say uh, uh, an antibiotic for pneumonia where you knew that a bacteria was causing the pneumonia and the antibiotic was going to kill that bacteria. Then you'd see dramatic effects from that. That's an acute condition, uh, for example, um, and or there's a, a condition where you know exactly what the cause is and if you eliminate the cause, you see dramatic uh, responses. That works really great for those types of conditions, um, but when uh, a chronic illness with multiple etiologies or multiple causes um, is, uh, is being manifest, then it doesn't work very well. And in fact, it can backfire and produce side effects that you don't want uh, while only producing small benefit. And one of the rather hazardous side effects can be addiction to certain medicines, especially for use in pain relief. This is a massive problem in the United States. Might the use of placebos provide an effective alternative to these addictive drugs? Well, this is a huge problem. Uh, I mean, uh, pain, uh, especially in, uh, in the use of opioids, for example, which uh, are very addictive, and their use for chronic p pain and, uh, uh, has now been uh, rampant and, and, in fact, has led to a lot of the addiction that is going on in the country. So we clearly need to control this. Uh, uh, we're flooded with painkillers, including opioid use in those areas. They are effective on an acute basis, uh, you know, for acute pain, but uh, they, you know, have negative consequences when used over a long period of time. Uh, so the question is, could we come up with uh, with uh, less addictive approaches, and especially one, ones that induce this meaning response uh, through mind-body practices, for example, uh, that might substitute for this? And the answer is yes. Um, uh, the institute I run, Samueli Institute, does uh, reviews of the literature and evaluation and analyses of the literature for non-pharmacological and integrative approaches uh, to a variety of conditions, and we've recently done uh, extensive evaluation of non-pharmacological and self-care approaches for pain, and uh, shown that th there's actually good evidence out there for a number of those. Um, uh, uh, for example, uh, uh, yoga, uh, acupuncture, 
uh, Tai Chi and music therapy all have good research showing that these can be used to control chronic pain uh, effectively if they're delivered appropriately. Uh, and uh, those kinds of uh, practices need to be brought into the management of pain so that we can reduce the use of opioids and pharmacological approaches uh, and still relieve the pain of patients. I've always been fascinated by the placebo effect because it suggests that the mind has a certain capacity to heal the body itself. What does this tell us about the broader mystery of mind-body interactions? Well, I think we are just beginning to probe uh, the depth and the breadth of what kind of an effect the mind can have on the body. You know, the whole discussion of what effect the mind has on the body in many ways is, a, is a sort of a misnomer also because it comes from an assumption that the mind and the body actually operate separately. Hippocrates taught us otherwise. He sure did. And In ancient Greece, Hippocrates, generally regarded as the father of Western medicine, stated mind and body cannot be considered one from another, that they're the same. They're actually the same, right. En entity, and what a mind-blowing principle that is. It's only mind-blowing because we've forgotten it, actually, uh, David. Uh, he was absolutely right, and if we'd held on to those principles, uh, I think we'd have a better system today. In fact, if you go back and look at the ancient Hippocratic school, if you go back to where that was taught and delivered in Epidurus in Greece, it's fascinating. They had within that uh, medical center, that, that medical school, uh, the, you know, the ancient medical school, they had uh, spiritual practices from the oracle. They had gardening and food. Uh, that patients participated in. Uh, they worked out their social stress and social, uh, uh, you know, relationship issues through drama. They had a theater there. And we now know that, for example, social uh, relationships, social coherence, social isolation have a huge effect on chronic illnesses, including chronic pain and mood and depression and even the ability to, to treat uh, obesity and diabetes. The social component is, is huge. Those were all embedded in the ancient Hippocratic school, and we've sort of, uh, we've sort of forgotten those in our march to try the, to find the magic bullet and pay for the magic bullet. But, of course, we pay for the magic bullet sometimes in um, extreme side effects as well. Yes, absolutely. Uh, I mean, the evidence on, uh, uh, on this with medications is, is clear. Um, you know, even a proven medication that, for example, might get a fairly large effect, like a 30 or 40 percent effect, that's only in about 30, 40, 30 or 40 percent of the population will it have the beneficial effects. Uh, often it will produce side effects, some minor, some major, in 60 to 70 percent of patients, uh, many of whom are not getting benefits. So we're also producing uh, illness and producing disease uh, as well as treating it. We know that placebos can produce quantifiable changes in how our body functions just through our mental activity. It's similar to what happens when you watch a chase scene in a movie that makes your chest pound. 
Your heart rate is really accelerated, even though you were merely responding to a thought. In that case, the emotional meaning we took from watching an image on a screen. If we understood how meaning was constructed and we could put together the different lines of evidence that we're now getting from not only studies on placebo like we've been talking about, but also thing, studies of imagery, of uh, biofeedback, of meditation and mindfulness, these are, are probably the most promising areas. Uh, to move forward because they impact uh, multiple illnesses. They impact our health in general and disease in general. Uh, they mitigate stress, and we know stress contributes to the production of many illnesses. Dr. Wayne Jonas, president of the Samueli Institute near Washington and former director of the Integrative Medicine Center at the National Institutes of Health. Listening to Humankind, I'm David Freudberg. Studio recording by Doug Sugarts and Alex Curley. Editorial assistance from Ken Rogers, David Cruz, Kathy Graham, Mark Kilstein, and Bond Collard. Webmaster Brian K. Johnson. Special thanks to Tony Buck. Our program is presented by Human Media in association with Connie Goldman Productions. Program development provided by Shart Media. To purchase a CD copy of this program, please call 1-800-5-LISTEN. That's 1-800-5-L-I-S-T-E-N. Or visit our website where you can also obtain an audio download of this and our other programs and can hear selected episodes free. You can access free written materials related to this program as well. Our web address is humanmedia.org. Again, if you'd like to purchase a CD copy of Humankind by phone, please call 1-800-5-LISTEN, and our web address is humanmedia.org. This segment on the placebo effect is Humankind Program number 239. The executive producer is David Freudberg. This is Humankind. To hear more episodes of Humankind, you can subscribe to our free podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or your preferred podcast player. A new episode each week. The podcast title is Humankind on Public Radio. And if you enjoy this program, be sure to leave us a kind review at iTunes and Stitcher. If you want to support the program, please visit humanmedia.org. And at the top of the homepage, click on How You Can Help. Again, our web address is humanmedia.org. Thanks.